So another Q&A here. I'm Lauren Hickson, the functional nutritional therapy practitioner here that works with Kevin answering all your health questions. So let's get some questions going today, guys. Did anyone happen to jump on into the after hour show with Kevin and I today? Let's see. Hi, Tammy. Great. Happy you listened. All right. So today in the after hours show, we talked mainly about digestion and we really talked about the whole process of digestion. Um, and we went off on a lot of tangents. So if you get a chance, have a good listen. Um, we covered everything about, we, we didn't, we talked a little bit about it, about dysfunction and what it's like when digestion is not working properly but we mostly focused on what it's like when our digestive system is working correctly and what each of the different components of digestion are and how digestion is, consists of chemical and mechanical processes. Um, and so if you have any questions about digestion specifically, we probably covered them in that, that show. So, Let's see here. Oh, Kevin has some info on canola or rapeseed oil. He says, while it was thought that the new forms of rape with their lower levels of uric acid would not have the same health problems, unfortunately, this has not been the case. In addition, so the concerns already mentioned above, the new strains have been linked to the weaken, weakening of blood vessels and cardiovascular disease, as well as the development of amyloid plaques on, in the brain and Alzheimer's disease. More generally, they have also been linked to cancer, diabetes, and obesity. While this all sounds great, They mentioned it's rarely made of the very toxic substance rapeseed oil. Okay, so the the how do you pronounce that? Uric acid. So that apparently is the toxic substance. Not only does it irritate mucous membranes, but it damages the myelin sheath around nerves and interferes with the use of vitamin E by the body. It leads to it being banned by the FDA Oh, in 1956 and the development of the new strains of rape in the mid 1970s with lower levels of the uric acid. Wow, that, I had no idea, that's good to know. So apparently Kevin found, so I don't know if everyone knows that canola oil is actually rapeseed oil and that's what we're talking about right now. Um, and rapeseed is, it's a, actually a pretty yellow flower. When you see it growing in the countryside, it usually looks like a huge blanket of yellow. It's actually really pretty when you're driving by it, but it is not good for our health. It's not good to heat that to such extremes. And apparently the uric acid is really the unhealthy 
the most unhealthy um, ingredient or substance inside of it. So good to know. Thanks for filling us in on that. All right. Um, so like I was saying, we talked about digestion. We talked about the normal function of digestion and how it works, um, how it starts actually in the brain, not in the mouth or in the stomach. Um, and how it is critical for the absorption of our foods uh, so that we can absorb all the nutrients in our foods. So make sure to listen to that episode that we just, well, that we just did, if you haven't already. Um, I thought that it could be a little helpful for me to just kind of go over um, the little bullet points of digestion real quick, because I know we did go off on a lot of tangents when we discussed it. So I thought maybe just a quick recap so that if anyone wants to just listen to this portion of it instead of listening to the entire show, you have it there or right in front of you. So essentially, like I mentioned, um, it's digestion is a mechanical and chem chemical process. Mechanical happens in our mouth with the chewing as well as in the stomach as the stomach churns the food when it's in there. Um, and chemically as well with the different acids like the hydrochloric acid and pepsin and all of the enzymes that our body produces to help break down the foods. So it's a north to south process. It starts in the brain. So when you start thinking about your foods or smelling your foods, your body already starts to prepare for the foods to, to come into the body to, to break them down. Just make sure there are no questions coming in. Nothing yet. Um, so one of the things we should mention is that we have to be in a parasympathetic state in order for us to properly digest our foods. So we don't want to be stressed. We want to be sitting down. And the best way to kick your body into the parasympathetic mode is to be grateful for something. Just think about things that you're grateful for. That's why... We believe that people said grace before eating and still do in many cases. Um, then in the mouth, as you chew your food, um, saliva is produced and within the saliva, there are different enzymes to help break down the food. So salivary amylase is an enzyme that helps break down carbs and lingual lipase helps break down fats. So it's already starting to break down foods in your mouth before it even gets to your stomach. So the bolus, which is created from the chewing of the food and the mixture of your saliva, it travels down your esophagus and lands in your stomach. In your stomach, you produce and release hydrochloric acid and pepsin, which breaks down the proteins in your food. And we get this churn and burn situation going on. The burn is the high acidity level of the, of the acids. And the churning is where your stomach is kind of moving things around and really making sure that it's getting in there and breaking it all down. So once that is formed, it basically breaks down and forms what's called chyme. And the chyme then travels down to the small intestine, specifically the very top of the small intestine called the duodenum um, and 
right there is where it comes into contact with your liver, gallbladder, and pancreas. So your liver produces bile and secretes it into the gallbladder and your body senses that you're, you ate some fat. So your gallbladder, then I think of it about it, like a kind of like a balloon. It holds all the bile and then the fat comes out and it squeezes the bile out and it saturates it and it's able to break down your fats. And then your pancreas re, uh, releases um, enzymes, different enzymes. There are a bunch of different enzymes, but the key ones are um, pro, uh, proteases, which uh, digest proteins, amylases, which digest carbs, as well as lipases, which help digest fats. And with this, um, the pancreas also excretes it's bicarbonate, which is similar to baking soda. It's very alkaline and helps to alkalinize the chyme so that it doesn't do any damage as it travels through the small intestines. So let's check to see. All right, we'll take a break here with digestion to answer a question. How much do grains interrupt the whole digestive system and why? This is a great question, and I'm sure Kevin will chime in as well. Um, First of all, I should mention there's a great book that really dives deep into this. It's called Grain, Grain Brain, or is it Grain Belly? I think there are two books actually. Um, but essentially, grains have lectins um, and anti-nutrients that can cause inflammation in the, in the intestinal lining. So what happens is when we have inflammation, um, we get things where, so first I should mention that the small intestine is only one cell thick. So the protection barrier of keeping foods inside the small intestine from your bloodstream is literally only one cell thick. So when you think of that, it's really easy to break that barrier, um, which is why we wanna do most of your digestion prior to foods getting to your small intestine. Um, so when it comes to grains, grains contain things like lectins and those are highly inflammatory. Gluten is a lectin. Um, it's probably the most popular one, um, which has been you know, demonized for a reasonable reason. Um, they cause inflammation and and any kind of inflammation in the small intestine can increase the chance of undigested foods um, to leak out into the bloodstream. And what happens when things leak out into the bloodstream, we get autoimmune, um, you know, our autoimmune system or our immune system reacts because it can't have anything in the bloodstream that it that shouldn't be there. So what happens is it sends out our white blood cells, which are T cells, and it goes in there and surrounds these particles of food that shouldn't be in the bloodstream and has to get rid of them. Now, if this is happening on an ongoing basis, um, basically every single time you eat, then your immune system is overworked and it starts to confuse the proteins of your food with proteins in your body and different proteins that it can attack would be things like 
they typically starts with your joints. Um, so the tissues in your joints really mimic the, the different proteins that can be leaked out of your digestive system. So um, basically the immune system gets confused and starts attacking your different parts of your body. And that's why there are so many different types of autoimmune diseases because they're basically named after and categorized by the different types of the body that they're attacking. So I hope this kind of helps to answer your question, but essentially anything that causes inflammation in the intestinal tract can also cause leaky gut and leaky gut can lead to immune system, um, you know, activation, which can lead to autoimmune diseases um, and much more. All right. Angie asks, what can we do to help with symptoms of seasonal allergies? So a few people jumped in on this and mentioned local bee pollen, which I agree, um, as well as local raw honey. And yes, that was that's definitely one of the things that comes to mind. Um, usually if you start that before the allergy season starts, it helps because then you're already getting some of that in your body. Your body recognizes it so that when it does come through mechanisms like your nose where it's not, you know, typically, you're not typically inhaling that kind of stuff. Um, but when the pollen is really dense and it comes into our nose and it gets mixed up in our, you know, in our nostrils and whatnot, and our body's defense mechanism is to send out mucus to kind of get rid of it. Um, basically, hopefully your body will recognize it better and it won't put off, you know, have such a defense mechanism to, to get rid of it. But there are other things that you can do for that. Um, you know, the quercetin is always a good thing. I know Kevin also mentioned the Histoplex AB, which is a biotics pro uh, product that we, that we um, sell in the store, which is great. Um, boosting the immune system is always going to be important. So making sure um, that you're getting a good amount of fermented foods, um, taking your probiotics, you know, 70 to 80% of our immune system lives in our gut. Uh, so there's another t topic that we kind of touched upon earlier today. And so just ensuring that you have a good mixture of um, bacteria in there to help support the immune system and all that. Um, also, apple cider vinegar, that's a good one. You can make a drink. Um, that helps to break down some of the mucus. Sometimes, you know, the mucus is in there for a reason. It's there to help get rid of these, the pollen and everything that's, that's finding its way into your, your system. Um, but sometimes the mucus can be a little too much. So to help break it, you know, to break it down and get rid of it. So you're not, you don't get so stuffed, you know, stuffed up is to help, um, you know, break it down with apple cider vinegar or, um, the, the histoplex or, um, you know, stuff like that. So maybe water with lemon, um, a little bit of honey and apple cider vinegar. That's a great drink. Let's see. circadian rhythm and adrenals you need a book to explain yes that is true but in a nutshell 
our circadian rhythm is our body's kind of intrinsic timekeeping um, mechanism. It's how we know when to be up and when to go to sleep. And every every living thing on the planet really has one. So um, for us, how it works is when the sun, it, it basically mimics the, the sun. So when the sun comes up, the way that it should work ideally is we would have the sunlight lightly touching our eyelids, which would cause a slight surge in cortisol. Cortisol is supposed to spike in the morning and then slowly come down throughout the day. Um, and our adrenals produce cortisol. So that's the link between circadian rhythm and cortisol and the adrenals. Um, it's not the only link, but in a nutshell, just to give you some explanation, that kind of connects the dots for you. Um, so where in the morning when the sun rises, you're supposed to have a, a surge in cortisol released by the adrenals. Then it's supposed to slowly taper off in the afternoon, like later in the evening. And then the as the sun goes down, we have less blue light and more of like a natural kind of reddish light. Um, and that is supposed to really trigger the melatonin production in our body. And I mean, yes, melatonin production in the body. So with the melatonin, it kind of gives us a sense of, um, you know, getting tired and our body knows that it's time to relax and unwind and settle in for the night. So uh, I actually wrote a sleep article. Um, if someone wants to find it real quick and post it here, um, it's on the website. It's something about the importance of sleep, but I have some good tips there on um, how to reduce, you know, uh, blue lights, especially in the evening, um, making sure that you turn everything, you know, turn everything off in terms of like your screens, your television, you know, any kind of bright lights, and then kind of maybe even lighting candles or um, if you're in the colds and, you know, back before we had electricity, we would sit around a campfire and that's very minimal blue light. It's all really red and golden raise and that kind of sets the mood as well so I hope that answers your question all right I think I have SIBO I get bloated after I eat however it does not happen if I drink any alcohol before I eat any reason the alcohol would affect the SIBO or could it be anything else interesting I don't think the alcohol would affect the SIBO in a positive way um, Kevin jumped right in and recommended Atrantil which is a really great um, product for helping any kind of small intestinal um, discomfort, um, especially a dysbiosis. Now, Jeremy, if you think you have SIBO, there are tests that you can do. Um, there's a, um, a test, forgot the name of it, but it tests your methane gas. Um, I think you drink like a sugary solution and then you blow into like a paper bag that measures the methane. Um, you can do that. Uh, you have to find a doctor that, that provides that test. I, I know that it can be difficult to find a doctor who actually um, can diagnose it, but if you search, I'm sure you can find one near you. 
but why don't you start with a discovery call and we can see what's going on. Um, digestion is typically what, you know, dysfunction there is typically what leads to SIBO. So at least um, we can get you started on addressing digestion and um, see, you know, what the next steps are. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Another one about SIBO. Tammy has a question. I have SIBO and SIFO, which that, I can't believe you have both. Um, back again, worse than ever. I've been doing a protocol, but seem to be on, on a merry-go-round. I've been eating very restricted carnivore. When I eat, I don't feel well. I get body inflammation and more so in my head that is painful. Also losing my hair, which is very bad. All is all this connected. Any help appreciated. So Kevin says you might need a one-on-one -on -one and some blood work to figure this one out. And, and I, I definitely agree. This isn't something that just mentioning a few symptoms is going to figure out. Unfortunately, people who have SIBO, they, they typically end up getting it back. Um, it's really hard to get rid of, unfortunately. There, you can get rid of it. Um, I have worked with people who have gotten rid of it. We have to figure out what is causing it. Um, sometimes it's specific foods, but if you're on a very restricted carnivore diet, then you're already doing a great dietary protocol, like an elimination. So the next step would be to um to treat it so there are ways to do that but um your other question about losing your hair i guess it could be related um i don't know thinning hair can be related to a handful of things especially a few months after having COVID. i i actually went through that and i've had several clients that um that lost a lot of hair after contracting COVID. i think it had to do with the inflammation um, luckily, it did come back, but um, I have heard that a lot. Let's see. Yeah, I agree, Kevin. It sounds like a really bad case of dysbiosis. So if you sign up for the discovery, then we can have a look at what's going on there um, in terms of digestion. And then we can, just, like I said, discovery is not going to get us very far, but um, at least it's, it's a start um, to get you on the right path with digestion and then you can sign up for a one-on-one -on -one from there and see um, see what we can do. Sarah, hi Sarah. Dr. Davis has a protocol for both SIBO and SIFO in the PDF on his super gut book, great. Oh, and you already did this super gut protocol. All right. Well, there's also another protocol. I'm trying to think of the name. The elemental diet. Look into the elemental diet um, as well and see if that's something that is um, any different from what you've already tried. Oh, and Kevin posted the, the sleep article here. That's great. So yes, we have a good little sleep article here. How do I do the discovery call? Perfect, Tammy, all you have to do is go to letstruck.com 
under work with us on the top, um, there'll be a drop down and you can click on discovery call and um, you'll have to also click on the NutriQ because you need to take the NutriQ and then schedule the discovery call. Kevin just posted a link to it right there. It's easy to find and really easy to do. Um, I can, you know, see you or, you know, jump on a call with you as early as next week. So go ahead and, and do that. And, uh, and I look forward to, to helping you. And yes, the NutriQ definitely comes before the, um, the discovery call. So go ahead and take the NutriQ and then schedule the discovery call. And just so everyone knows, um, the NutriQ does come first, and then you would schedule the, the discovery call. Um, and then those are also prerequisites for the one-on-one. -on -one. And in addition to that, um, Tammy, just so you know, um, after we talk on the discovery call, you'll sign up for the one-on-one -on -one and you just need to give yourself enough time to keep a five-day food journal. That's one of the, you know, the things that I'll need to see. Um, and in that five-day food journal, you're going to put everything that you eat, drink, supp anything, supplements or any medications, literally everything, as well as your bowel movements, the way you're feeling, if you're feeling bloated. I mean, with SIBO, I want to know everything that you're feeling. Um, I want to be able to link how you're feeling and your bowel movements with the foods that you're eating. So just so everyone knows, there, there's a reason why I ask for all the information on your bowel movements and how you're feeling is we're trying to connect all the dots that we possibly can. So if someone has, you know, severe constipation and they don't know why and their diet sounds great, well, sometimes looking at the, um, the food and mood journal, I'm able to really start to see things that that really makes sense why why it's happening. So make sure that you keep you you know you keep a really detailed food journal, especially with the times that you're eating, so we can also see that. Um, but yeah, with with SIBO, it can be difficult. It can be difficult to treat, and I, I get it. Um, but it sounds like you've treated it before, and if you did, I would love to know what you what you used and how it was successful um you know what worked last time and i'm sure it might be a little different because i'm sure you would have already tried what worked last time this time and you're not seeing the results so we can we can work on it it's a it's going to be a process of elimination <laughs> but hopefully it won't it won't take too long all right Oh, yep. So you don't think it was all the way gone, which is why it came back. That happens a lot. Some people start to feel better because they start to suppress the, the bacteria that, you know, the bacteria, the bad bacteria that's, that's growing and excreting the methane gases and stuff like that. And then um, they didn't finish the protocol all the way because they started feeling better and it never really completely went away. You had antibiotics to treat a UTI and that's how it came back. That will do it. That will do it because that wiped out all the good bacteria. So we have to remember that 
the bacteria in our gut is always, um, it's kind of always battling it out. You know, we always want the good, obviously, to win over the bad. But if you take an antibiotic and you're wiping out all of the good and bad bacteria, then you're starting fresh and the first ones to populate the majority of the time are always typically the bad ones, which is interesting. And I don't know exactly why that is, but when we wipe out the good as well as the bad, we, we typically, it's typically hard to get back on track. Your upper small intestine is what always gave you trouble. Hmm, interesting. All right, any other questions here? Well, I wonder, did you work with a, like a SIBO specialist or any, anyone in particular, or did you just try to do that on your own? Some people try to do it on their own. Well, if you had antibiotics, then I guess you were working with a doctor. But some people try to do it on their own. And there are ways, and people do fix the issue on their own, but it usually comes back. How long have you been carnivore, I wonder, too? And did your diet change when it, like, before it came back? And that's what led to it. Yeah, most doctors are not educated on SIBO, unfortunately. But I'll be able to point you in the, the right direction, at least, um, with the discovery call. There are some good resources out there. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what we find um, when we work together. All right, guys. Well, let me look real quick and see where we left off with digestion. I think we left off in the stomach. All right, so in the stomach, highly acidic hydrochloric acid and pepsin break down proteins, which are found in the foods. Um, and those mixed with the foods create chyme, which then travels to the duodenum, which is the upper part of the small intestine. Well, then we did talk a little bit about the pancreas, um, the gallbladder, and the liver. So the liver produces the bile, gallbladder secretes the bile, the pancreas releases enzymes and bicarbonate to help um, alkal alkalize the, the chyme. So once that happens, basically most of your food is digested at this point. And when it travels through your, your small intestines, that whole way, which is a very um, slow and long process because it's a very long um intestine. <laughs> uh, basically, its job is just to absorb nutrients at that point. Um, the only thing that is not digested at that point is going to be your resistant starches and fibers, which remain intact and travel all the way to the large intestine. And once they go there, that's where your microbiome and all the good bacteria in there eats it um, and creates different vitamins and nutrients from it. So in a nutshell, that's, digest that's digestion for you. All right, let's see. Mike says, I was diagnosed with dysbiosis last September. 
I was diagnosed with blood clots in my right leg. I've been taking Eliquis for the clots. Ooh, I'm sorry. I've actually come across a handful of people who have had blood clots lately, young people, um, and the doctors have been telling them that it was related to COVID, which I thought was interesting. And these are not people who have been vaccinated. So um, I find it very interesting though. I wonder what's causing your blood clots in your leg. Sorry to hear about it. All right, guys. Well, if there's anything else, if not, it's been a good, I don't know, half hour or so, which I think is good. All right, Mike asks, I've been eating carnivore for about a year now. I had COVID last year. Yeah, Mike, you might want to just, I don't know if I don't have any answers for um, blood clots resulting from having COVID, but I actually have two friends personally that are young that both are dealing with um, blood clots after, after contracting COVID. And that's the only thing that has changed in their lives. So um, I wish I had more information for you with that on that. Um, if I do come across anything, I'll make sure to, to bring it up in the next Q and A. Thank you, Kathy. Oh, and Kevin says for blood clots, he recommends a consult with Dr. Wilson. And that's a great idea. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining and have a listen to after hours that Kevin and I did today. If you want to learn more about digestion, we really dive deep into it. And we also go over a case study. So um, next time we will perhaps talk a little bit more about dysfunction because we, we touched upon it, but we didn't dive deep into it. And I think it helps people to understand what can all go wrong in digestion. Um, and like Kevin said, you know, if it, if something goes wrong in the very beginning, it doesn't fix itself on the, on you know, the rest of the way down, you compromise the entire process. So be sure to, be grateful for your food to put yourself in a parasympathetic state, eliminate stresses, and make sure that you're chewing your foods properly. All right, guys? All right, take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye.